0: If you have your Bibles, open them to the book of Matthew, the seventh chapter I'll read in just a moment to give you a little bit of background on what I've been doing recently. When I left her, I went back to my country, the biggest mission field in the world called America. I know it's hard to believe that, but most of us are used to mission fields of the developing world. But you have to realize sometimes our nations today are what we call first class mission fields. And America is one of those. I went back home and, and the Lord uh, began to do with me to, to build a church in Orlando. Well, I didn't wanna do that because I'd already done that. I thought, I don't wanna do that again. But he reminded me of a vision I had when I was a little boy. You know, some things you see when you're a child, uh, when you're a teenager, you think, ah, it's just a part of your head or something. But I saw two bouncing oranges in this little quick, small vision. Whether it was outward or inward, I couldn't tell, but I saw it and, uh, and I saw two bouncing oranges. And the uh, first orange bounced up and got real bright. And the Lord said, you'll spend the first half of your life on the West Coast where oranges are important. Oh, that's nice. And and that fell back down and the other orange jumped up and it turned real bright orange. And He said, and you'll live the latter half of your life on the East Coast where oranges are important. And the vision disappeared. I thought, is there any more explanation I could get from this besides two bouncing oranges and live where oranges are important? So I first knew cold weather was not in my life. Praise the Lord. I've been delivered from snow, it's of the devil. (laughs) And uh, so I ended up being the first half of my life in Orange County, California. And uh, that is known as Orange County, goes with the orange, the bounces. So I built my first church there and had a wonderful time. And then I moved to Orlando or to Florida, to Sarasota, because I thought, well, the only place on the East Coast that has oranges is Florida. Thank God it's not Georgia, North Carolina, Virginia, Or New York, crazy people in New York. And um, people that need much help. And um, I can tell we're back in London. (laughs) In America, they'd have booed me or clapped. It wouldn't have been neutral. Here's, Here's British people. John Wesley gets saved. And he describes his salvation like this. My heart strangely warmed. That's how a British person describes being born again. If you ask an American how you what what you to say, wow, it was great. You ask an African, they run across the stage and yell for hours. (laughs) British, my heart strangely (laughs) warms. Now you get the point. But at least your heart warmed. Hallelujah. (laughs) And so uh, I I was in Sarasota. It was a town that I enjoyed. It's on the Gulf side of the the part of the the ocean there. And uh, I was happy and preaching for all the churches, had great acceptance in the Sarasota-Breddington area. I'm the guy they call in when the pastor's on vacation. I'm the guy they call in when the pastor's having trouble. Uh, I'm that guy. And so I didn't want to, you know, hurt that relationships by um building a church in that town. So when the Lord said, build me a church, I said, no, I know you never do that, but I I, I do. I lose, but I start that way. And I, I said, I don't know. I said, if I build a church here, I'll lose all my friendships. And Plus, Lord, it's not ethical, I'm trying to teach Jesus ethics. And um, and so I had this little argument going on. I kept, to be honest, I kept cutting his voice off. Have you ever done that where you're like, and you cut it off? All right, I confess, I did it. You're all really holy out there and never done anything like this. And so I, I kept cutting off. But one day I didn't cut it off fast enough. And the Lord said to me, I didn't say here. I said, well, where? He said, Orange County, Orlando, you're in the wrong geography. I was an hour and a half outside of the divine geography of my call. Your geography is as important as recognizing your calling to know where it's supposed to be because you can be called and have a great gift and you can flow in it. But if you're not in the right geography, it doesn't always quite work as a great chemistry of explosion, of revival. So I told my family and my team, I said, you know, I'm an hour and a half from, from our, 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 where we're supposed to be. So what should we do? Well, my team goes, well, let's move. We don't want to be here anymore. Let's go. So we packed up our bags and we moved to Orange County, which is on Orlando. We started a church about two years ago. And I'm going to write a book one day called My Two Churches, because they're the exact opposite churches. The one in California was more fun. See why? Because there was a revival in those days. Today, there's not one. In America, there's not a national revival. You have great churches throughout the nation, but you don't have a wave of revival. When there's a wave, you can ride it. When there's a wave, if the, the momentum of it helps you build and helps you do. And and so now this one, you got to pray, hear the word of the Lord, and pound it out all by yourself. I sort of say, I'm too old for this. And the Lord said, you're at the right age, so shut up and do it. Has God ever told you to shut up? Yeah, I've heard, just be quiet and do it. And that's where I'm doing today. So we were very happy. And then I started another church 3,000 miles away back in Orange County, California, because I found out when I was out there years ago, we were the dominant church. And now all the full gospel churches have faded into seeker sensitivity, which means you don't believe hardly anything. Uh, You might get to heaven by accident, uh, but that's kind of what it is in America. And uh, you go to a big church, have great music and have a concert and think you're saved. You'll get that next week, uh, uh, and you'll figure that out. And uh, so uh, we 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 went back out there, and uh, so I've started another one back in my old orange cans. So I got two oranges bouncing again. So I need your prayers. So send me some British Hakkahai prayers as I go. Do you all say amen, or have you lost that ability? Now KT cannot become a quiet. Nice little boring British church where I will come back and be a volcano and make everybody mad because it cannot be. You were born with a certain apostolic thrust about you. This church was not born to kiss people's butt. It was born to kick it. It was not born to lay down and let culture run over it. You were born to stand up and slap it back and tell it the truth. That's what you were born for. You were not born for any other type of dimension, but that kind of ministry. The founder of this church, George Jeffries, the founder of the Elam denomination, was not somebody who just walked through Great Britain. He rolled through this country with a mighty apostolic power and a healing anointing and broke barriers and broke religious cultures and broke cultural barriers. That is a mandate that's still upon this house. So you that are new, that is what's upon you. You that are old, wake back up to it. You invited me back, so here we go. (laughs) When this church was born, they from the first man that came back and recovered after George Jeffries died, In your basement, they pulled out from downstairs crutches and things that were left behind from them that had been healed that were left in this church. So even in the natural bottom of this church, there was residues and signs that this is your destiny. This church's destiny is to talk to this city and to talk to the continent of Europe and to be an influence to the world. And all the young people coming to school here come here and why they get their learning, they get their Holy Ghost burning and they put the two together and explode back in their countries. This is your calling. This is your destiny. This is your mantle. This is your power. Then the devil hates these kinds of churches. He works overtime. To make sure that this church is controlled by administrative brains and not apostolic spirit. That is the war that goes over this church. It has gone from its beginning to calm it down, to make it fit in, or it needs to be a a, a light, in the midst of the darkness. It is to be a a growing, roaring voice that does not apologize for the gospel and its demonstration. It is to be a womb that produces men and women of all colors, all ages, all rankings of economics into the call of God around the world. This is your destiny. This is your calling. This is your mandate. And even though you're going through transition, the divine mandate does not change. It does not alter. It may have a different voice and a different face, but it's the same call, the same anointing that birthed this thing still lives here. As a church historian, this is one of the few churches that has been successful in its transition from leadership. In most churches, when they go from one leader to the next, it goes into some type of unusual metamorphosis. But from the time it came, from the beginning, what was the first guy's name, Ed? What was the very first guy that took this church back? Eldon, Eldon, I never met him, only saw a picture of him. He came and did the first rescue. Then when Lewis came, took it there. Pastor Colin, a man on the team came. We're about to have a new and a powerful transition again. I'm believing it'll go to the next level. It will not break the cycle of succession and fruit bearing and anointing. It shall increase. It shall move forward. Yeah. It shall be as it's supposed to be. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, come a high So we are here tonight. And I guess I'm changing my message. Uh, Is this. Who are you? Where'd you come from? What is your future? The man, Mr. Jeffries, came and bought this church when he was at odds with the denomination. And he bought this church, and when he died, his mantle split into two different sources. The mantle of evangelism fell on a German evangelist named Reinhardt Bonnke, who was walking. As he got off a bus, after he graduated from the Wales Bible School through London because he was bored of being on the bus, and walked down a street unknown to him directed by god the feet of the righteous god will direct he will direct you he will direct the leadership of this church he will continue to be this great and wonderful power that god has called you to be and he walked down the road and saw on a street sign or on a, not a street sign but on like a mailbox area the name jeffries he had heard about george jeffries he had heard about uh the great healing evangelist that was the apostle because George Jeffries was more famous in this country than Smith Wigglesworth was. When Smith Wigglesworth was alive, Jeffreys was alive. Smith, after his wife died, decided to go to the world, but George stayed faithful to his call to this country. He did some overseas things, but not much to mention of. He stayed faithful to the British Isles and built churches, full gospel churches, healing churches, Like I said, he got an odds with the domination over his supplementary doctrine. One comment, if it's supplementary, shut up. You don't need to talk about supplementary things. You can have your convictions. You can talk about things while you're trying to learn through it. But so many people that they think that their supplementary beliefs should be their dominant way people identify them. Let the cross Let Jesus, let the miracles, let the souls be how they are identifying you. That when you're in that meeting, in that church, you can get saved, you can get spirit filled, you can get healed, you can get delivered. Something good will happen to you. Let that be your identity. And he walked down the road and he saw the name Jeffrey is on a post thing. And he walked up to the door. I like that God's men are bold even when they're not even known to walk up to a strange house and knock on the door just to see, that's something I would do and hopefully you would too, to see if this was the man named George Jeffries home and the maid lady that was caretaker opened the door and uh, he asked, Mr. Bunky did, is this the home of the Reverend George Jeffries? And, and uh, she goes, yes. And he goes, well, I- I- is he alive? Is he here? He had assumed that he had passed on and did not know that he had still been alive. And so she goes, well, he is alive, but you, you you can't see him. Well, Mr. Jeffries was coming down the staircase of his home and had heard the conversation. And then with his deep voice, let him in. That's what Jesus says to you. Let him in. Let him in. He's not rejecting you. He's welcoming you. And, and so he, he came into the house and Mr. Jeffries and the young right-hearted bonky who didn't have a name, His gift wasn't even in the earth working yet. It was still in his belly in a dormant type of state. He had just learned the Bible enough to start trying to preach his first sermons and to go for the first part of his calling. The greatness of him had not even been known even by himself. In that few moments of transition, Mr. Jeffries prayed for this young evangelist and from his spirit fell upon this young German evangelist the great evangelistic healing ministry that we now see in what we call Reinhard Bonnke Ministries. When you see Reinhard Bonnke going forward, you see George Jeffrey's Mantle working inside of a young man. That's where the, the first half of this great call came from. It fell on him, and look what happened with Bonnke. Wow, what a story. I was with him a few months ago. He's older now. His body's tired but his insides are still Reinhard Bonnke, at the restaurant. He's preaching to me across the table like he's preaching to ten thousand people. I'm like, I'm here, I'm all ears. But he's high. Even when he tells a story, he's preaching it. It's wonderful to see a man who lets his gift dominate his flesh, even in the older years. When old men die, they should not die with their body dominating. Should die with their gift still roaring through their flesh, coming up out of them. To tell all the young men, here's how you die. Here's how you live your final days. You don't live like the world. You don't live like the heathen. You live like God. You live like this. You talk like this. There is no such thing as retirement. You stay fired up until you die. Amen. You say, well, I just want to retire, then I wonder if you ever really were called. Good evening, everybody. Welcome. <laughs> Half of dismantle. mantle fell on a German evangelist. For me, I've always wondered, why did Bonnke? Who was he? He wasn't even English. He was German. I'm half German, so I can say it like that. He was German. He would think, he would think at least he would stay in a, in a national type of family. If you're English, it's just all about an English guy or an English woman. It's amazing to me how it falls on odd kind of situations like Catherine Kuhlman's mantle fell on Benny, of all people. Now, I like Benny. I'm not being critical, but of all people, Benny Hinn got Catherine Kuhlman's mantle. I touched her. He only saw her. I should have got it. I wanted it. I have her white dress. I have everything, and I got nothing. When I die, I'll have my jeans and my suits, and then I'll have like five dresses. I didn't wear them. They're Ms. Kuhlman's clothes. If having personal effects of people give you anointing, I should glow in the dark. <laughs> but it's the thing about the Catherine Kuhlman mantle. Of all people, Benny. <laughs> Think about that. Benny. He's short, has wild hair, has an accent, wasn't born really in America. He came from the Middle East into Canada. Would sit in Kuhlman's meetings and just was mesmerized and pursued the relationship that she had with the Holy Spirit. He wanted it with with all of his heart. That's how a mantle comes. It don't come through a financial donation. It comes through a long-term pursuit of something. That's how it comes. If giving a thousand dollars to get a double portion, I have given enough thousand dollar seeds, I should glow and float in the air when I come to church. (laughs) Now you can get blessed for giving, but a You know, God bless them all, but I should have four or five more Cirillo mantles. I should have Hagen mantles or Roberts mantles. I should have Rod Parsley mantles. I should have all kinds, because I've given lots of money to lots of people. I should glow in the dark. (laughs) But I don't. And the one mantle I wanted, I never even got close enough to even carry it for a day. Benny got it. You can still tell I'm kind of upset about that. (laughs) The same thing with Mr. Bonke. I mean, a young German evangelist who went to Bible school in Wales, why? Wasn't there some English folks around that was at least up for a vote? But God chooses who he chooses the way he wants it so we all just have to go hallelujah and cope with it and accept it. And that mantle of healing evangelism that was so strong that birthed the Elam movement fell upon that German evangelist. He got on the the train that night and went home to Germany and his dad picked him up and his dad gave him the news that he had just heard that George Jeffries had died last night. He said, no, 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 that can't be true. I was with him yesterday afternoon. The mantle was passed within six hours of the man's death. The prayer of blessing was granted. God will order your steps too. And he will order this church's steps into its new wonderful grace and power as it continues. The other half of the great George Jeffreys mantle fell upon this church. The apostolic church ministry birthing power fell on this church Now I know I'm in an Elam church and and they've all been very good to me, but they don't like when I teach this part because they don't like how I teach it, but I'm right. (laughs) They got the administrators anointing and you got the apostolic grace over this church. And I can say that because I'm not ordained by them. (laughs) Because I would say they'd probably kick me out later. But it's true. It's true. You got over this church somewhere in this atmosphere. Somewhere on this property, there was probably a moment when Mr. Jeffries prayed a prayer. Maybe he even just breathed it casually with some degree of sincerity and God heard it. God, let this church birth ministries. Let this church produce men and women that'll build churches and assist churches and go to the city and go to the nations. And with that little prayer, however, or whenever he prayed it in this atmosphere, maybe he was more up, official. Maybe he laid hands on the ground. Maybe there was a moment he was alone outside with all those trees. And he leaned up against a tree and grabbed the tree and shook it. Said, let this church. Sometimes the best prayer you pray is a groan. The best prayer you pray is a yell from your spirit. On utterance from other tongues that makes no sense. And the sound of it even hurts your natural ears. Because not everything in the heavens sounds perfect in the earth. But it can be heard. And over this land and over this church came the other half of his mantle. And that mantle fell upon this holy ground. And all of a sudden, this church began to come alive again. He began to multiply. He began to produce. And up out of the spiritual womb of this house, it became the place where at one time, you, there was not one spirit-filled church that was moving this city that had not had a relationship with this church. There is an anointing over this church that when it graces you and it blesses you and you receive from a, from a humble heart, it will promote you with force into the will of God for your life. That is why it's been troubled for people to maintain their residence even as a member of this church. There's a warfare that goes so if the enemy can maneuver people in wrong timings, in wrong alignments, then he can hinder the birthing of the babies, ministries all over this city and this nation. When I did the research on Mr. Jeffries. This church had produced almost as many churches as the denomination. They didn't like that. They didn't want me to say that, but it's true. <laughs> because they still don't know how to rejoice over the mantle of the house. If I was the head of Elam, I would dance and shout that KT had it and let it rock and roll. Now, they've been good about it or something, but they're getting nervous. Nervousness is where you've lost revelation and you've gone back to logic to guide you. When you're running a spiritual entity and you go into nervousness, it is when most of the time, it's when you've left the strength and the stability of revelatorial understanding and you've gone into logic and polite reason to understand and to navigate, which can never be done in a house like this as the dominant lead of government. And out from this house begin to come all types of ministries, restoring ministries, both men and women, young and old, all the ethnic groups. All over the world today, there are KTites, and they're good people. They're honored people in the nations that I've been to when I've been around KT graduates and KT people that have been in the church. There is a respect for them and a great respect for this house. Tonight, this was not my sermon, but it is upon me, so I preach it. To remind you of who you are. Remind you that as we go through this transition, this is not going to be lost. It'll find its way under the new government and the new leader to do what that it's called to do in a new culture and a new time and new generation. It will not fade. It will not go away. It shall be blessed. It shall produce and it will go forward. Amen. It shall go forward. Amen. Let the minds of concern go into the confessions of faith. Let the worries of people's hearts move into praying in tongues and quit talking. That which made this church great besides the mantle were all the crazy prayer people. All those crazy prayer people. Like Pastor Kimmy, hope you're watching. Hi. Look, are you here? Ah! Hi, Pastor Kimmy. Do not leave until I hug you. We love you very, very much. There is sits one of the great prayer delivery warriors of this house. I like her. She's rude enough to be anointed. What do you mean by that? She'll say it in a way you have to hear it and know it. You cannot lead people by suggestion. You lead people by divine revelation and command that's within your voice and your spirit. This house was filled with prayer warriors that prayed out loud where you could hear it. Not just in nice British tones. Thank God the Africans came and took it over. You should have said "Amen." amen. You that don't know it, you now know it. Where was the white people? They were being revived and recovering from fear. I love the British people, but you're too calm. Now you've woken up during the Brexit thing. Yesterday, when I when I was with Pastor Colin, I got in the middle of a riot and didn't know I was in the middle of a riot or a protest. Actually, I said a protest. I was walking to go to one of my old bookstores where I fine old books and. I was walking and I noticed some people had some signs, but, you know, Britain's like New York. I mean, London's like New York. Things go on and you ignore them and keep walking. Uh, And I walked myself almost into the middle of a a protest of all the folks I didn't like. I like Boris. He's Mr. Trump. They both have the same hair. I know I'm leaving Friday, so you can get mad at me and say what you want. If nothing else, at least we have two nations that the whole world is watching for entertainment. (laughs) And may God help all of us survive it all. (laughs) And God will help this country and God will help my country. It's going to be okay. Somehow it's going to be okay. But the prayer warriors of this house, when I came in my early, uh, late 20s and early 30s to begin to preach here at Katy, which has been now over, I guess, 25 years or so, they were praying people, loud ones. You could hear them from downstairs and in the rooms. That's how I distinguished a revival church. If I could hear you pray, you were alive. What tone of authority told me what level of revival you were in. Well, Katie had roaring people, and in the midst of the roaring prayer, you had demons ah, coming out. She so had all that going at the same time. When there's a revival, there's strong, loud, aggressive praying and screaming demons coming out of people at the same time. Welcome to the New Testament. And it can happen again in Great Britain. If if you're gonna be persecuted, do it first class. Just go at it and let everybody just cope with it. Don't have a warm heart, have a fiery heart. And then let it ignite your voice and your feet and your hands and do the work of the Lord. Now we are in two transitions. I myself with what I'm doing in America and you what you're doing here. We are doing this in the middle of a cultural war. We're doing this in a moment when both of our countries is going through so many unusual things. The generation that they call the millennials, I'm trying to understand. (laughs) I like them, I really do, but they don't keep the word. They'll commit and be gone for a month and call it normal and then wonder why they're replaced. You can figure that out. I'm in the midst of a culture war. The first revelation I got when I started my church in Orlando is how many people don't believe the Bible anymore. I was in shock. Now, a lot of the crowd that came to me in the beginning were what I call Leonites, the folks that really liked me. They read my book or they knew me. And so they came and they, and I thought, well, if you've been following for a while, you'll at least know s- certain degrees of the Bible. Well, I found that some of them did not. And I thought, when's the last time you read your Bible? And they read it on their phone. A half a verse. And they call that food. I call that malnutrition. If you don't feed your spirit, you easily get sick and are persuaded of things that are not scriptural or even sound and common sense. And right now we have a a rise because of our social media and the way things are that we have assumed a depth of knowledge that we've not paid the price to have. We have assumed because we know somebody or we read something on the internet, which I don't trust half of that anyway. You know, it took me a decade to clean up all the folklore uh, stories of the generals. They had the stories... Brother Wigglesworth did things he never did do. So when I started writing the general's books back years ago, the stories of Amy and Wigglesworth and Lake and Daddy Seymour, there were some truth in them, but they were all messed up and exaggerated. I mean, I thought, well, that's not true. That's, I thought, was there anything I'm going to find that's true? So I kept going through the list. So it took me almost a decade of writing and teaching to get the stories right. and Because the stories are still powerful. Like how Wigglesworth raised his first person from the dead. want to hear that story? I want to tell it something you want to hear it too, all right? And, and, and so the first guy he raised from the dead was called Lazarus. is that kind of nice? Real biblical. Lazarus in the Bible. Lazarus, Brother Wigglesworth. He got there late because they wanted him to come and pray for the guy because he was sick and dying, and he didn't get there on time, and the guy died. So when he came to the house, the wife was crying, the kids were crying, everybody, oh, <laughs> you know how it is. And Wigglesworth, you know how he is, he, he's not moved by much. He, he goes, where is he? And the wife uh, soon, you know, how's he doing, was the, uh, the question, and, uh, and he said, well, Brother Wigglesworth, you were late, and he's dead. And he, he said, I didn't ask what condition he was in, I asked where he was. Sometimes you got to be a little bit rude to keep the conversation going the right way or they'll talk you clear into their weirdness. And um, so the wife walked him down the hallway of the house to the, to the bedroom where he, he was laying uh, under the sheet as a dead man. And he said to the wife, you can't come in here because you're crying, you're in unbelief, stay outside. Sounds kind of rude, doesn't it? But I guess you're going to raise somebody from the dead, you better know how to do it. <laughs> Don't help you inside. And so he goes in and shuts the door, as the story is told, and he picks the guy up from underneath the sheet. He's still in his nightgown. You know how they used to wear those nightgowns in those days? And he pushes him against the wall. Now, that right there, in America, 80% of the pastors, I just lost right there. You pick up a dead man. like can't you pray for him on the bed? I don't know. Just shut up and let it happen. That's why the working of miracles is so rare because you're trying to regulate it to make sure it looks right feels right, and it's PC. It needs to be BC, biblically correct. Not PC, biblically correct. Good evening, everybody. I don't know what time I'm supposed to quit, but I'm not done. Hallelujah. So he picks up the dead man, pushes him against the wall, says, live. He fell down still dead. <laughs> That's when you pack your bags and head for the train station. <laughs> Let's leave town before they kick me out of town. He picks him up off the, off, the, off the floor against the wall and pushes him up there again and says, live. Let's go. He falls down still dead, dead, dead. Boom. That's when you move from the country because now you're going to be on CNN and the whole world's going to know it. He picks him up a third time. Some of you know the story. Pushes him up against the wall and gives that command of faith to life to come back in and let him go. And he fell down back on the floor and his eyes popped open. Well, my thought is, bam, 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 your eyes are going to fall open after a while, even if you are dead. And he caught and he come back to life. And Brother Wigglesworth, Brother Wigglesworth said, "Uh, we need to get you dressed. Your family thinks you're dead. So Wigglesworth helped get the man kind of dressed and put together and walk him down the hallway as is told and says to the wife, he's not dead no more. And walks out the door like it's just a normal day activity. I like that. That's the kind of stuff KT people do. That's the kind of stuff that KT ministries do. That's what's in your DNA. Your DNA is not Methodist. Your DNA is not Baptist, it's not Lutheran, it's not Catholic, it's not even Church of England. You are a full gospel, Pentecostal, loud in your face church. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Praise the Lord. That's what you are. To do anything different means you're weird. If you don't do what you are, you don't do how you've been made, then you'll be odd. You won't taste right to people. They'll come in and go, "Uh uh-uh. People aren't as stupid as you think. They just act stupid. That's why they get away, run fast from things. This church has a great mantle upon it. And I'm here tonight to reaffirm that mantle remaineth. I'm here to reaffirm that in the transition that is this going through, it's not an ending, it's a new beginning. Amen. In the scriptures, when something is announced an ending, it is a prophetic statement that something greater is on its way. Amen. That's why God told Joshua twice in the first part of the chapter, Moses is dead. I always thought of being a writer, that's a tough way to start a book. Your main guy's dead and you tell it twice in the first three verses. Moses is dead. Yes, he is. Moses is dead. I thought, that's not the way you start a book. It's the way you get tortured. My main guy's already dead in the first three verses. But scripturally, when something ends because God only has one pace forward, we go from glory to glory, faith to faith, strength to strength. That's the movement of the church. When something comes to an end. It is an announcement that something greater is on its way. Yeah. I live right now in my life. If I let my soul govern me, I feel uncomfortable with what's happening in the world today. In the church world today. I've been a world citizen my whole life. In 127 countries and them so many times They think I'm a citizen. I gave myself to the world. I love being an American, but I love being a world citizen more. I spent my life in villages and cities and places that I wouldn't take a family. I went because I was single and alone. I've come back to the Western world and I've known Greatness in my life. I've lived with greatness. My life had been directed by God in such a beautiful way that only he could have done it. I was born in the city of a great revival, the governing city of Tulsa, Oklahoma. It began its birth in the 20s with the early revivals and the intercessory work. It began to maneuver in the 50s with the ministries going there. By the time it hit the 80s, the great government of the Word of Faith movement exploded up out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I was a boy growing up in the midst of all of it. The reason why my name is Roberts is because Oral helped name me when I was a baby. My mother first was the first class of the Oral Roberts University. Her and my father were members of that charter class and I was born the next year. I grew up running the Oral Roberts' house in my diaper, or my nappy, as you say, over here. I didn't know who Oral Roberts was and I became an older uh, young man to realize that he's not just the guy on TV, he's, this, 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 he's the guy. He's the charismatic Pope. You understand that? He's the big dude. And I got to be in the big dude's house and, and watch him. And as he grew older and I grew older, he moved to Southern California and lived 20 minutes from my church. And I would go over to his house and have lunch with him or take him and his wife to lunch. And they would come sometimes announced and unannounced to my church to preach. And it was great to have this man. I would sit at his table and I always would bring questions and books for him to autograph. And I called his secretary one day. I said, I need about a 100 pictures from the tent days of Brother Roberts. Can I have them? That's a very unusual request even for me. And Mrs. Brooks goes, why do you want 100? Because I said, I'm going to his house a lot and he talks better when he sees things. She says, oh, okay. So she sent me over 100 photographs of him. And he would sit and autograph them and tell me stories. God chose a young man who never wanted to be a preacher. He wanted to be a politician. <laughs> you ask him, Brother Roberts, what did you want to be before you were a, decided to be a preacher? He was, I wanted to be the governor of the state of Oklahoma. And he could have won. He had that kind of charisma and that kind of mind. But God healed him one night of tuberculosis, and he gave his life to Jesus. And he was able to rise to a new place. He brought the Pentecostal people, from the wrong side of the tracks that we say in America, to the correct side of the tracks or the correct side of society. He got education for us. This church has always combined academics and spirituality in a beautiful way, and combining them has always been easy. The grateful gospel ministries have to know how to do the great dance of academics and spirituality together. And the dance music and Rhythm changes unannounced. One day you think you got it. And next month, it's a total, another whole song. If you don't stay in the spirit, you'll lose the whole thing. And Brother Roberts is one of those people that was able to combine what the church had called wrong and put it together in a way that it was acceptable and lifted millions of tongue-talking people up to a new place in society the first slogan of their school was, come and get your learning. Why keep your burning? Because they always thought if you got your education, you would lose your Holy Ghost fire. You go to Old Roberts University and you could get to be a nurse, a businessman, a lawyer, while you spoke in tongues. You could go into the courtroom asking Jesus to help you get this crook and put him away, and Jesus would help you do it. You could be a doctor that while you're about to knock the patient out to give a surgery, you read a little prayer of healing, and all of a sudden, they don't need the surgery no more. That's why Or Roberts' hospital didn't work too good. They kept getting healed before they could be charged for the operation. <laughs> and that's really the truth. That's one of the reasons why it did not work. He built a 60-story high building with 30 stories on one side and 20 on the other, to do medical healing of faith and medicine combined together. He didn't realize that all of his doctors and nurses actually wanted to pray for the patients. And they started praying for him and they didn't need the operation. Thus there was not enough money to keep the thing going. What a great way to close a hospital down because your doctors prayed for all the sick people and got them healed supernaturally. Let that happen in England and just scare everybody. So why are you telling me these stories? Let's dream big again. In the midst of our cultural war, in the midst of the challenges that we face of the unknown future, God can do it again. God can do it again through you. Now I look at this room and I see some of my students, some people I've known and I call dear friends and some of your hair is white. And that's what we call older people. I color mine so you don't know if it's white or not. (laughs) Let me talk to my old people. Don't die until you're dead. (laughs) Write that down. Don't die until you're dead. We need your story. We need your faith, your resilience. We need your mouth to pray in the depths that young do not know yet. I was in a, I mean, it, it's interesting where I preach now. I go places and I'm given a morning session because they want to hear the God's general stories. And I don't do too many of the night sessions anymore because I'm too old. So I'm only 53. If you're not careful, I'm going to outrun you all and put you to shame. And, and I'm in these meetings, and I appreciate the invitation. I appreciate the acceptance. And I'm there enjoying it and making friends and being a part of the new generation. And I found inwardly, I was having a problem. You ever had a problem? You smile on the outside, you look anointed, you look happy, and then you're going, "Oh my God." Because here's what they would do. I feel the anointing. I'm going, "Really?" I can't even locate it in the in the, even in the back rooms of this place. Oh, I feel a mighty anointed. I'm like, where is it? And they sing songs that I don't understand. Like, Love Me Like a Hurricane. You sing that? Where's the singer boy? I don't know his name, so he's the singer guy now. Alright, I don't know who he is. He's the new guy with an earring. See, in my day, that was called sin. You all have much more fun in church than I ever did in my life. The music is better, the ministries are better. So quit complaining, enjoy it. And they, they sing songs, God loves you like a hurricane. I thought, I don't know what it loved mean, love like no hurricane. Have you been in a hurricane? There's nothing left when it gets done. We almost had one, almost, I almost missed my trip this time. There was a hurricane coming to Florida. We don't go, oh Lord, please. We actually do one of these, hey, I, I go away. We pray against those things. We don't pray against them, they come in and destroy everything. It takes a long time to recover. So, the young people sing these songs God loves me like a hurricane, yes, yes. I'm like, No, he does not. I bind that, go from me. I don't want to be loved like a hurricane, there'll be nothing left. <laughs> so, I'm in the middle of a worship service with no lights on. Everything's dark like I'm in a club. I was told clubbing was of the devil. Now I'm in one singing, he loved it like a hurricane. <laughs> so I'm in the middle of all these young people and they love Jesus some ways very uniquely. And, uh, and I'm sitting there and, and he's gonna kiss me with a wet sloppy kiss. I thought, what kind of song is this? How about just, all the blood might clean this mess up. I'm sitting there and and I'm saying, Lord, I have a problem with this stuff. I'm not anti, but I don't know how to wiggle with them. I don't know how to work with them. And they don't really preach. They talk softly and sweat. I'm like, why are you sweating? You haven't done nothing to sweat about yet. Your voice has even got up over the normal tone of saying, Hello. They all talk like, hello, we're glad you're here. And the Lord is wonderful. And I feel his presence. I'm like, it's the air conditioner event, It just came on. <laughs> you might not want to invite me back, Simon, after this sermon. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm going through this and I'm, then I go to prophetic meetings. Oh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I wanted to say, pathetic. Because I'm sitting there and I'm watching things in the name of the prophetic. And I thought, Where is that in the Bible? I mean, even a little bit of it. Give me at least a little bit. Give me the Bible. And because I have backroom accessibility, after services, as you know me, I ask uncomfortable questions because I have access to you. You're sitting here. I'm sitting here. So why not? And so I've asked uncomfortable questions that gave me the left foot of fellowship among many of them because I don't drink the Kool-Aid. I carry new wine, not Kool-Aid. <laughs> you can figure that out next week. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a, I don't want to be the guys that fought me when I started when I was young. When I was young, as Pastor Amanda said, I was wild, I'd jump out there and go on the, I still like that, but it scares too many people. Maybe I should do that to you tonight and just jump out in the aisles and scare the devils out of you, and uh, and I would do all those things and 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 maneuver and and so when I would preach those ways and maneuver those ways, the the older generation, hey, yeah, and they fought me, and I don't want to be that guy that fights these people. I want to be their friend. I want to be in the midst of it. I want to be there, helping and enjoying and and having a good time and be among them. And, and, I'm, and I'm 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 trying my best. He loves him like a hurricane. <laughs> Wet, sloppy kisses. We're in a club with lights and smoke. See, for us, the older generation, you know what that was? That was the glory cloud and the wind of God. We didn't turn the lights off to get it. I don't know what time it is. My watch is in American time. So I'll preach till whenever I'm done. <laughs> first closing, first closing, first, first closing. Anybody, anybody understanding what I'm talking about? And, and, and then you go to Hillsong and they dress in such tight clothes. I'm surprised the clothes don't split and fall off when they sing and whittle. So we all go through this stuff. We, 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 we go through it. Now, like our singing gentleman here, I don't know your name, but you're wearing an earring. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. When I was his age, they would throw you on the floor for that and cast demons out for hours. Because you have an earring. We live between two worlds now, the Joshua and Caleb. So I'm sitting trying to, to relate to all the, the new things of the new generation and not wanting to be the critical person. or the guy on the house, I need to do the devil. I don't want to do that. What's of the devil needs to go? What's of God needs to grow? Amen. Did you hear that? What's of the devil needs to go? What's of God needs to grow? And... Uh, And the Lord said to me, when they say anointing, what do you measure that against? What is your standard? I said, what's Catherine Kuhlman? And the Lord said to me, do you understand what you just said? None of these people, they only see her on YouTube. They have no relationship to our experience. All they know is the stories that, I tell, or you tell, or they hear someplace. And their young hearts, like mine was when I was their age, wanted it for myself. I want a taste of that. I want to feel that. I want to be in a place where that happens, not being, hearing about it. I want to see it. I was in those meetings that lasted four to five hours, and you got mad when it was over, and you didn't worry about the underground schedule. Catherine Kuhlman, to me, had the most tangible presence of God that I've ever been in my life. There may have been someone greater, but I have not been in those meetings. It was so thick, you could feel what they call the weight of glory. You could feel it on you. You could feel a pressure. And it was so powerful, your skin shook just enough where you could feel it shake. as the way I remember it. People got healed with no one touching them. Even the folks who were calling her a witch were getting healed while they were calling her a witch. That's how beautiful the mercy of God was in those meetings. I want God's mercy to hit all this millennial generation, all this atheistic world, all this drama going on. We need a tangible flow of the mighty power of God once again. And God can do it again. The Lord said to me, when they say anointing, you think Catherine. They think last night's song service. And they've just begun in the shallows. Somebody has to be far out and say, come on, there's some more. And when they get that far, come on, there's some more. And not let fear and the winds of words that'll hit them. Cause them to pull back or deviate. In my day, we had strong voices like Brother Summerall and Brother Roberts and Brother Hagan and Wynne Lewis and some of these other great men and women that stood there and demonstrated and, and, and told the story and showed how to do it and then told you to stop doing stupid stuff. I got a few of those talks in my life. Brother Summerall was a very wonderful man. If you did something wrong, all three parts of you knew it. Your body, your soul, and your spirit. He had a way he could talk, and all three parts heard you, heard him. I remember one time I was preaching something. I was real excited about it because he didn't to come to my church. He asked, what you been preaching? So I kind of give him what I've been talking about and, and so forth. He goes, I preached that in 1958. It didn't work then, and it don't work now. Stop it. And that's like telling the doctor you gave the wrong medicine. Well, you have to decide, young people, if you're going to believe your faith-forward-moving elders. The reason why the older generation don't walk like you walk because they've been walking a while. Their shoes are broken in. Their paths they know pretty good. You've just started walking. You're still wobbling you're still wobbly and a little bit of a touch can knock you over or put you on a different route. You cannot let the stability of years be offensive to the youthfulness of your beginning. You cannot let the counsel of experience and walking with God be offensive to you in their admonitions, corrections and encouragements. I'm here today, not because I'm smart, because I listened to them that were older in God than I was. Their prayers saved me. Their visits to my home and my meetings encouraged me. And a lot of them didn't have a lot of money. They would send me $5, $10. But they put their money where their mouth was. Some of them were partners of mine for over 20 years. Some of them sent their last gift on the month that they died. I loved them, and I miss them. They came in different packages. Some of them were still stuck in 1950. They dressed like it, talked like it, sang like it. But there was a degree of God with them in the 19th. There was, a, there was a deposit of God that I would tap into and not let the peripheral stuff bother me. I can sing 950 songs, clap my hands and wiggle with them. I know the tent stuff you do in the 50s. I go to their churches. The offering wasn't anything, $125 for three days. I didn't go for the money. My book sales maybe be, you know, a couple hundred dollars. Normal weekends, 10, 15,000. I go to these little churches like that because I wanted to get freshened up, get blessed by the old folks. And I'd ask the pastor, before church, can the old ladies and us pray together in your office? He goes, well, yeah, if you want to. There's too many of them. I might have to go down to the prayer room. Oh, prayer room, more room to move. And 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 they were precious. They had hairstyles that I don't know how to explain. <laughs> it just was. Some had the mountain hair. You know the mountain hair, folks? Because back then, some of those, you couldn't cut your hair, that was a sin. So we had contests: contest how high your mountain hair could get. Humans are humans, and they're fun. But I tell you, when they started getting over in the in the Holy Ghost, over in the, in the spirit world, now, it might take a little while to get there. You might have to go through the... All the crazy stuff they do sometimes. It's fun to watch if you if you can do this. How people get over there. Some people can just walk over and be in it. Others have to jerk and work and then they get there. Especially the 1950-60 peoples. That's I guess how they found the spirit by mm, oh, yeah, like they're in pain, <laughs> and then bam it hits. And when it hits, oh. Mm, mm, mm. When it hits, you have to endure all that stuff to. <laughs> so I kind of grew up around it, so I didn't bother. I actually kind of enjoyed it. Most of them are gone now. And those ladies, and there'll be a few, few grandpas, those ladies with the mountain hair, and they're always kind of fat. Because back then, you couldn't do nothing but go to church, work, and eat. Because everything else was a sin. You couldn't go to the movies. You couldn't go to basketball games. You couldn't, it was a sin, you'd go to hell for that. So you could just go to work, go to school, and eat and sing in the church. And that's what they did. And they were specialists at it. And they'd hit it. They'd do all this, thing. well, well. It's almost a screaming contest in one church. Well, 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 well. I thought, well, well, what? (laughs) Because after a while, you're like, Father, help us. But you have to endure sometimes five minutes, 30 minutes of some of this stuff. That's how they get over it. But when they got over and they would come for me and you get braced because you're going to end on the floor anyway. So get ready to hit the floor because you're going there and they're going to go on top of you (laughs) because those days they roll with you. They don't have catchers. (laughs) This is for the the ministry of catching was perfected. This is called fall down ministry. Go ahead. You're going to fall down one way or the other brother and it's coming out. That's what they talk and they'd grab you. Now I was used to because grandma grabbed me all the time. She grabbed me all the time. I was used to being jerked and slapped. I know it sounds terrible, but it actually it's not that bad. it's kind of why I'm still here. They go, whoa, I see that. Let me go get it. Bam! And about three fat women will hit you. And you fall the floor and they go over with you. And it's heavy. And the pastor's in the corner going. I'm like, help me, I'm dying under here. But in the midst of all, all this funny, crazy stuff. Now that's more true than you know. I'm not exaggerating hardly at all. But when they get up and those, those other tongues and that hand ministry, that lay on the hands. So we do the touch and fall thing. I touch it, you, you fall down. They hit you. Wow, Shaka Now today you be sued for abuse. <laughs> Alright, I'm taking a long time to make a point. The older saints in this church, don't let the cultural differences, the generational difference, hinder your presence and your place in this great moment of Kensington Temple. Don't, don't, don't miss it. Young people, you're called young because that's what you are. Now, your professors at school told you that you were really smart, but they lied to you. They haven't quite told you the truth the way they really are, sometimes, especially in theology. And you're going to have to be able to take what you've been told And let the presence of the Lord refine it and refire it the right way and rework it sometimes so it's a living faith and not just a historical academic acceptance. The great healing evangelist, heres a fact many of you don't know. Most of them, the first people they prayed for died. Think about that for a moment. Those great healing evangelists in the 50s, when you read their story. The first people they prayed for died. They just didn't get healed, they died. So you'd think you might have a reverse ministry going on there. Instead of healing, we're killing you. But here's the thing about them. They didn't give up. They kept priming the pump of faith and expectancy until they hit it. And when they hit it, then the great ministry we talk about were born. I want to tell this last story and then I'll close. I said, okay, I like this church. I could preach for hours here. I could just preach to empty blue chairs and be happy. I like the atmosphere. I like it very much. The man named David Duplessis, it's called Mr. Pentecost. He was prophesied by Smith Wigglesworth in the early 1900s in South Africa. One morning, Wigglesworth was in Mr. Duplessis' home, and David had gone to the office to get all of his work done so he could travel around with Brother Wigglesworth for the day. And and Wigglesworth wanted to see David before even breakfast, and he goes to his office, and David said, I didn't didn't hear anybody open the front door or any feet walking through the office. All of a sudden, he said, my office door flew open, and there stood six-foot-tall Wigglesworth, perfectly dressed, hair in place, and said, David, stand up. I'm just like, that's just Sumrall. That's why Brother Sumrall was kind of rude like that because he got it from Wigglesworth. Mm-hmm. And um, pushed him up against the wall. He had a wall thing, I can't think, going on by the Wigglesworth ministry, up against the wall. And um, I'll be done in five minutes. All ushers just relax for a minute. I'm a guest. <laughs> I have guest liberties. And um, he prophesied to him, and told him about three great revivals that were coming, that he Wigglesworth would not see any of them, but David would help lead at least one of them, that we called the Charismatic Catholic revival. And so that revival hit. And David became very accepted by the Pope and many of the Catholic officials at that time and was called, nicknamed, Mr. Pentecost. And so he was invited to a lot of the mainstream churches and he was out at a conference and they had him as their guest speaker and they were laughing in the spirit, falling down, having a great time and David was being British. Just there, they thought he was not approving of what was happening in the room with the speaking in tongues and all the stuff, you know. And so they tried to keep the mic from him as long as they could. Extra testimonies, extra verses in the songs, longer offertorial talk. Finally, they have to give the mic to their guest speaker who's going to kill this service. So, Mr. Duplessy took the platform and said hello to everybody. And he said, now I want to address the perceived attitude you have toward me tonight. You think I'm against all of this. He says, I'm actually enjoying all of it. I'm I'm so thrilled that you're experiencing the Holy Spirit like I did. And I'm happy about it. But you think because I'm not falling down and rolling and all the stuff that's going on, that I'm against it. He goes, there's just one difference between you and I. You're a young drunk and I'm an old drunk. It takes more to get me tipsy than it does you because I've been drinking for a long time the new wine of the Spirit. And I think that story illustrates kind of what's happening in a way today. That we have the old drunks and the new sippers. That just a couple of sips and they're soaring. They're out, well, just two sips and they're gone. Some of you, it takes a couple bottles. Not because you're resistant, not because you're against, but because you've been drinking, all oh, these many years. And you've learned how to drink of the wells of the new wine and the living water. And you know how to carry the anointing in a way that is more productive, but it's not rejectional to the young drinkers. When a little baby is born and he starts to learn to eat and you put him in the little high chairs we call it and you give him spaghetti, it's everywhere but in his mouth. It's in his hair, is that right Pastor Gabriel? It's in his hair, it's on the floor, it's on your shirt, it's on your face and we take pictures because it's cute for a while. That's like someone young in the things of the Lord the anointing's all over them and they're reacting to it. But there comes a day when you've got to get more of the spaghetti in you than on you. And that is part of what the generational clash is about too. Because right now, some, they feel a little touch and they're gone. I'm glad they're having a great time. They call it an encounter. They're having an encounter. We call it a visitation, but now we are encountering and downloading. (laughs) Now, the reason why I'm doing this is because this church has always successfully, generationally worked together. And as this transition is happening, we cannot lose that beautiful aspect of KT and the full gospel ministries in this nation. When the little baby throws the spaghetti on the wall and you have to go clean it up. And you do that how many times before you finally say it's time to learn how to eat properly? That's what happens in a church like this. There'll be things that go on, spaghettis on the wall. And mom and dad that's been eating properly for 50 years has to go clean the mess up. And you think like this, do I have to do this again? I've done this for three generations. Did I ever get to graduate? No. There is no graduation from generational transference. There is no graduation from showing, demonstrating, and speaking to the next generation positive words, faith words, spiritual guidance. May you do it to the day you die and never cease the great combination of generational interactivity. This is a part of this great church. I plan as long as I'm alive to come and irritate you every year. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen.